There is a longing within all of us for freedom, to get out in the open, away from the noise and fears and burdens that hold us captive, to breathe deeply and hear clearly, and to know that we are alive. Created in the image of God, our Creator God wants to meet with us, to bring us into greater freedom, to bring us to places where we can be still and know that He is God. As with all things worthwhile, there's a practice and a rhythm to this meeting. Transformation takes time, it takes effort, it is work, but the most enjoyable type of work. The practices of our spiritual life anchor us and carry us forward. They center us as we navigate the storms of life. When we journey into the great expanse of God's love for us, we are transformed by the rhythms of His grace. Well, good morning, C4. Great response. Great to have you. Uh, let's just pray together. Father, so we, uh, we ask for what we have just watched on the screen. We ask that our hearts would be stilled. And even as we have cried out to you and declared our, our love for you and our worship of you and Christ and the Spirit, now we ask that we would place ourselves in submission underneath the authority of your word and that you would speak directly into our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his fame. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn to it in 1 Corinthians 3 or turn it on to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. All summer, we have been thinking about and discussing and practicing, hopefully, spiritual disciplines. These disciplines or practices that we do that put us in a position where God can do his amazing work of transformation in us. There's these ancient spiritual practices that have anchored Christians in their faith and throughout the history of the church. Eugene Peterson, in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant, says that when we use these disciplines, they create a necessary rhythm to our lives. How many of you would say, if you describe your life right now, you'd say, wow, I've got like a cool rhythm going on. That's why we have these things called spiritual disciplines or spiritual practices. He uses the illustration in his book of of the garden. He says, many of you probably have gardens, and you know that you'll have different soil conditions. And every once in a while, when you have to change the soil condition, you might go to your shed, your garden shed, and you might grab a little tool, and you'll go out and weed the soil, or you'll till the ground or you'll, whatever you'll do to kind of produce the harvest that you want to do. And he says that's what spiritual disciplines are like. Our hearts have different conditions. They have different soil conditions to them. And every once in a while we need to go to God's garden shed and we grab out a different discipline that helps us create the right heart condition where 
God can do his work. Some we use more regularly than others, but in every case, as we use them, it creates this rhythm, this beautiful sense of rhythm in our lives. Now, I would think that most of you probably, if I were to ask you, what are your top three spiritual practices? Right? Let's just think for a second. What are your top three spiritual practices? What are the things that you kind of go to more than anything else? I imagine probably most of us in this room are going to respond. Number one is someone yell it out. Prayer. Right? Prayer's got to be in the top three, right? Prayer's got to be one of those top three. How about reading God's Word or meditating on God's Word, right? Those are pretty much the first two that come out of everybody's lip, and for good lips for good reason. Those are the things that have been practiced by the church for a couple of thousand years. And the third one might be up for grabs, right? Some people might say fasting. Some people might say solitude, like you talked about last week. Uh, others might use different things. But I'll guess, my guess is that the top three lists, it would always be oriented about th- around things that you do personally. Well, this morning... We want to kind of shake things up a little bit and uh, suggest to you that, that there's a very powerful spiritual discipline, one that has been consistently practiced throughout the church for the last 2,000 years, one that the church has viewed as very primary, and I would suggest to you even as imperative, not secondary, not optional, a discipline that every single person in this room has already practiced this morning. And that is the discipline of gathering together. Discipline of gathering together. Um, I heard this story told of a pastor told this story once. He said he had a neighbor who didn't know Christ, and he said every Sunday morning he would get up and he would jump in his car and he would drive to the edge of his subdivision and he would stop the stop sign and he had a decision to make. He would either turn left or turn right. He knew that if he turned left and he'd travel a few kilometers down the road, he would get to his favorite restaurant where on a Sunday morning there would be waiting for him a beautiful stack of steaming blueberry pancakes. Sound good? Sounds really good. But he also knew that if he turned right, he could travel the road down a few kilometers and he would end up at the church where his neighbor was preaching and standing in a room with a bunch of people who were singing some odd, strange songs to him. And he said this to his pastor friend. He said, you know, some Sundays I turn right. A lot of Sundays I turn left. So let me ask you this question this morning. Why did you turn right this morning? Why did you decide to come here instead of doing something else? Maybe it's out of a force of habit. This is what I've always done. I mean, I get up on Sunday mornings. This is what I do. You know, this is my thing. Or maybe it's a sense of duty. This is kind of expected of me. Or maybe some of you in this room are saying, hey, I wasn't driving, man. I was just along for the ride. (laughs) You know, someone else decided, right? If it were up to me, right? Or how about anybody here come here this morning with a sense of expectation and anticipation? Yeah, I, I mean, 
that's a discipline that we have to kind of invest in our lives. We have to decide whether we're going to turn right or whether we're going to turn left. Why turn right? I mean, I got to tell you, I have to confess to you this morning, sometimes it's hard turning right. Right? Brenda and I, we, uh, you know, we, got, we really felt that God was leading us, and so we left our church at the end of April, and we have... Over a number of this, since the end of April, we have been having to make a decision whether we're going to turn right or left on Sunday mornings. Actually, whether we're going to get in the car in the first place. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard to make that decision. I mean, I can remember stories of uh, trying to gather together. I think you call them connection groups, or we, or we call them small groups, where we would get together with our small group. And there were so many evenings, so many times where I would think to myself, my goodness, this is taking so much energy just to get in the car and to turn right and to go and to gather with those people for fellowship and spend some time. I mean, I, I can tell you stories about some of my small group experience. I mean, I had one time where I had two guys almost fighting with one another in my living room. And I'm thinking, man, why do I want to do that? Sometimes it takes a lot of energy, but I'll tell you this, I still turn right because I know this is true. When God's people gather together for the right reason, God is present in a way that is unique to anything else. Anything else. Different than a hockey arena, different than a rotary club, different than even me sitting on my dock by myself or in my kayak by myself. And the Bible is full of these metaphors that help us understand what the church is. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the text that you're at right this morning, the Apostle Paul introduces us to two metaphors about the church that tell us that when we gather together, there's something really unique about us. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, look at the problem that was here in the church at Corinth. It says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? There's a problem in the church, spiritual immaturity, right? There's all these divisions. There's pockets of people saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul. There's all these different leaders, different groups. And so Apostle Paul says in verse 5, here's your problem. I want to tell you what the solution is. The solution is to that problem is know who you are. Look what he says in verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's what? Field. The first metaphor that he describes for him in telling him about who they are, he says, is an agricultural one. He says, you are like a farmer's field. One plants, one waters, God gives the increase. Growth happens and bearing fruit happens. C4, does that happen? Does it? 
Have you seen it happen here? Oh, man, I'm hearing stories. Man, I was hoping I'd hear a little more enthusiasm in your response. I've heard all these stories. Is, is God at work here? Yes. Yeah, he does, man. He, the harvest happens. Fruit happens, right? Is it, is, it, is it because of Paul or Apollos? Who brings the growth? God does. He's the one that brings the growth. We all have our part, and I just love, I just love how this metaphor reminds us of that, that how God reminds us of how he works through each of us. As we rub shoulders with one another and we interact with one another, as we practice the discipline of turning right and we interact with one another, what does the Spirit of God do? He uses us to impact one another. It's beautiful. But then he gives a second metaphor. It's not an agricultural one. It's not an architectural one. Look what he says in verse 9. Right? He says, you are God's field. You are God's, what? Building and architectural. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. There's a lot in these verses. But in this metaphor, he says, gives an architectural metaphor, and he says, we're like, not just like a farmer's field, we're like a building. He says, I laid this foundation. The foundation was... Verse 11, look at verse 11. What's the foundation? The foundation is a person. Who is it? Jesus Christ. Paul says, I laid a foundation. And of course, that goes back to him coming to Corinth and telling them about Jesus and sharing the good news about who Jesus is and what Jesus Christ had done alone. That's the foundation that he has laid. And then he says, other people, other people have come along and they have built on that foundation. And then he spends a bunch of verses here and he says, now be careful to build on that foundation. He gets like, I can only see the Apostle Paul getting really worked up about this because he's saying we're going to be judged about what kind of foundation we build on. And then he says this in verse 16. Almost like telling you why he's so worked up. He said, do you not know that you are what? God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple, he says. We're like this building, which is a temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, and this is what we are together. I don't know if you notice this or not in verse 16, when he says this in chapter 3, verse 16, when he says, do you not know that you are God's temple? That is in the plural, not in the singular. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Now, in other places, the Apostle Paul talks about us as individuals, like in 
1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, where he uses the same metaphor to talk about us as persons, as individuals, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But here, he's talking about what we are collectively, like what he does in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, and also in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. I love this verse. It says, In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He's not talking in these verses about you individually. He's talking about us collectively. What we are together. What we are collectively together. You see, together, this is why I turn right. This is why I turn right. Together, we experience the presence of God. Now, in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 through 16, God's presence was like a major priority, right? Do you see these verses here in Exodus chapter 33, verses 15 and 16, where it says, where Moses just appealing to God for how shall it be known? Uh, he says in verse 15, he said to him, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight and, and I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the, on the face of the earth? He's saying, man, I, I got to know your presence. So let me ask you this question. Where is God present? If, if it's so important to experience God's presence, where is he present? Well, we use this fancy theological term called he is omni, what? Present. That God is omnipresent. That means that God is what? Everywhere. He's not just in a temple, is he? In fact, if you think he's only in the temple, there's lots of verses in the Old Testament, like in Isaiah chapter 66, where, where God reminds them, hey, if you think you can stuff me in a box, I just want to tell you something. You can't stuff me in a box. Because I'm also the God of all creation, and I'm also the God of the heavens. I am the God who is omnipresent. But just as we know that God is omnipresent, we also know that in the Scripture, God is present in the temple in a unique way. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verses 40 through 41. In the Old Testament, when they talked about the temple, it was the, uh, this idea that, that this was the resting place of God. It doesn't mean that God couldn't rest anywhere else. It just meant that in a very unique way, in a very unique and a very special way, God rested in the temple. And so here the Apostle Paul takes all of that, all of that Old Testament imagery, and he says, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and, and God is talking to you this morning, and this is what he's saying to you. He's saying to you, listen, we are together, collectively together, God's temple. We are collectively together, God's resting place. This is where he is present in a unique way. Not talking about a building. Not necessarily talking about hundreds of people versus three people. Not talking about a building, but he's talking about those who have faith in Jesus Christ. God is present in us individually, but he's also present in us collectively. There's a uniqueness about what we are together. 
This way, we have to know who we are together. You are the dwelling place of God, the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know when you gather together like this? There's a uniqueness to the gathering. It's where the Spirit is present. I can't think of any better reason to turn right than that. No wonder the early church gathered together. You know, you read some people, some people say, well, you know, the early church gathered together for social reasons or economic reasons. Well, yeah, they probably did gather together for socio and economic reasons. There's no doubt about it. But I can't help but think that they had this profound understanding that when they gathered together, whether it was in small groups or in larger groups, when they gathered together, that God was present and working in and through them in a very unique way. Does that make sense? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am what? I am there. I'm present. That's what Jesus said. Or in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, it says that they, they gathered together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and they were, they were filled with awe. They were filled with absolute awe. Or in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, where the author of Hebrews reminds us, do not neglect your regular meeting together. Why, why, why were they? Are these just things that people made up and decided to say to people? Oh, they, these Christians, they don't have, you know, they need something to do. So we'll tell them they need to gather together. Well, why did they gather together? I, have, I think a large part of it has to be that they understood that when they gathered together, there was a uniqueness to their gathering together. I think that's why the early church gathered together, and that's why we should gather together for fellowship and celebration, to worship Christ and to listen to the Word. It needs to be a priority. And oh, in our culture, do we ever need spiritual discernment when it comes to this? There are so many, for so many of us, this kind of experience has become more of an optional thing or a secondary thing rather than a primary thing as when it comes to the spiritual disciplines of our lives. And the reason for that is because we just don't have very much margin in our lives with our time. Hey, how many of you have just got a lot of time? You could just kind of float around and do whatever you want to do. Kind of Anybody? Is there anybody here? Please, where, where, where is the Jedi warrior here? Is there anybody? No. What, what's, what's the problem with our culture? We're what? We're too what? Too busy. We are. It's ironic. We probably, in our culture, we value time more than anything else. We're busy. We're driving our kids here and there. We have extended family responsibilities. We have long commutes to work. We're connected to our phones all the time. Some of the choices we've made are our own. Some of the choices have been made for us. And so at the end of the day, we just have so little room or energy in our life to gather together with people. Even the extroverts are stressed out. (laughs) Saying a big thing, you know, like, even the extroverts are going, yeah, I'm feeling kind of maxed out myself, yeah. We need discernment. We've got to make some difficult choices and decisions. But here's the reality. You you can't change the reality of Scripture. 
the beauty of this metaphor, you just cannot change the beauty of this metaphor, and it's this, that, when we, that what we are collectively together is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You cannot deny that. The Scripture teaches that. We are collectively together the temple of the Holy Spirit, and there's nothing casual about us getting together. Other followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus Christ gathering together, there's nothing casual about that. It's not just about showing up, okay, but it's about staying true to the foundation. Now, I, I want you to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 11. Okay, I'll start reading in verse 10 again. It says, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, and here is the foundation, which is what? Jesus Christ. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And so the Apostle Paul reminds us, God reminds us this morning, that when we gather together, there's a uniqueness about us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But I would suggest to you this, only if we are building on the foundation, which is Jesus Christ. He warns very strongly in verse 17 that there's a problem, that some, that some might, might not be building on the foundation or have little to do or nothing to do with Jesus. You see, it's possible to gather together and ignore Jesus. It's not enough just to turn right and show up. It's not enough. It's about Jesus. When we gather together, we, there's this foundation that has been laid as you have given your life to Jesus Christ. There's this amazing foundation of Jesus Christ, the good news of Christ, the Son of God took your place and died for your sin that you, so that you could experience this amazing relationship with God now and forever. The good news is it's all about what Jesus has done for you. It's never about what you and I can do. This impacts our entire life. It not only, be, it not only impacts the beginning of our journey, it impacts everything about the journey. And the problem is that in some gatherings, in some churches, in some places where Christians gather together, there's just little to do or nothing to do with Jesus. It's absolutely possible to gather together and actually ignore Jesus. To talk about everything else, to talk about sports, to talk about weather, talk about vacations, talk about kids, and never get around to Jesus. To be like a social club, like uh, another rotary club. Do you know the church of Jesus Christ is actually different than a rotary club? Did you know that? You know, the church of Jesus Christ is actually different than, than the bridge club. Did you know that? It is. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the Rotary Club, nothing wrong with the Bridge Club. Oh, I want to touch the Bridge Club. Right? But the church of Jesus Christ is uniquely different. We're uniquely different. Why? Because we have this foundation. It's Jesus Christ, and we build on that foundation. The problem is it's possible to gather together and ignore Jesus. Hey, small groups, connection groups. When's the last time in your group you actually had a heart-to-heart about Jesus and how it impacts the rest of your lives? Or are you still talking about the weather and sports? 
I got nothing against the weather, and I got nothing, definitely have nothing against sports. But it's about Jesus. It's possible to gather together, ignore Jesus. It's possible to actually get together and build not on Jesus, but to build on a different foundation, the foundation of self. We begin to hear messages like, like the 12 steps to freedom. Here's your, here's your self-help group kind of idea. And again, nothing wrong with helping ourselves. But the foundation is Jesus. Sometimes you hear messages where you had to think it's, it's about us earning God's favor by doing the right things, where Jesus isn't a Savior anymore or a Lord anymore. He's just like an example to follow. And I tell you, if that's the case, if you're gathering together like that, then I'm telling you, you are not acting like the temple of the Holy Spirit. But when we turn right and we gather together and we lift Jesus high in worship, like we did this morning, when we lift Jesus high in worship, when we boldly declare to our Savior and our Lord how much that we love him, how much we are amazed by him, when we actually believe in our declarations that all things are by him and for him, when we actually trust, we trust in him that he is before all things and that he is actually holding all things together, when we actually take time to acknowledge that it is in his grace that he has brought us together, that's when we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God's presence is uniquely in us and present with us. Do you believe that? And that's why when you turn right, when you turn right, when you practice this spiritual discipline of gathering together, looking forward to talking about Jesus and celebrating Jesus and allowing Christ to be the foundation of everything, that's why you, when you gather together like that, you can, you can do it with great anticipation and expectation. I'm guessing that some of you, when you arrived here this morning, barely had a pulse. <laughs> I, I'm just, I'm get, I get around, you know, I talk to lots of different people. I'm assuming there's some people like that here this morning. I'm guessing that. I'm I'm hopeful that after you've heard the word of the Lord this morning, that when you come back next week, you're going to be like, your pulse is going to be pumping, man. Anticipation, expectation. Why? Because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray together, When we realize that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit and we get down on our hands and our knees and we pray together, we know that our God is listening to us and that the Spirit of God is at work in us and and waiting to work through our requests and our crying out to God. And when we know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, we come here on Sunday mornings or in our groups together and we come underneath the authority of God's Word and we listen to God's Word together. We actually believe what happened in Ezekiel chapter 37 can actually happen. You say, well, what happened in Ezekiel chapter 37? This is what happened. The, Ezekiel had, the prophet Ezekiel had this amazing, amazing vision, and all he could see before him was dead bones. Really, really, really dead bones. That's what the Hebrew says. Really, really, really dead bones. Really dead. Not just dead, but really dead. 
God said to him, prophesy. And so he did. He proclaimed, and, and, and before him these bones began, came to life, and there was like they, they started fitting together, and skin came on them, and these bodies began to come to life. And it was like he said, listen, that's, that's, that's just what's going to happen to my nation, Israel. He says, you, you proclaim, you proclaim this, the truth to them. You just proclaim the message to them. It'll be like the Holy Spirit is coming into their hearts and reviving them again. And I'm telling you, if there's anything that you and I need more than anything else, is to hear the life-giving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ over and over and over again to us to come and submit ourselves before the glory of the Lord week in and week out and hear the message poured out into our hearts to experience the death in our life and to go see that disappear and for us to come alive. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather together and we care for one another, there's this uniqueness as we come alongside one another and we pray for one another and we, we, we speak words of discernment and wisdom into one another's lives. The Spirit of God actually begins to do things. He, he uses us to encourage and to exhort one another, to build one another up for us so we can become mature in Christ. Why? Because we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to continue to decide whether you're going to turn left or turn right. Do not underestimate the power of the right turn. This spiritual discipline of turning right, anticipating the fact that as we gather together and we lift Jesus Christ high, something unique is about to happen. And when we gather together and we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he has done, we are indeed the unique temple of the Holy Spirit, and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is present with us. So next week, you turning left or right? Blueberry pancakes or church? Yeah. I like that. I like that. I like that. Maybe they should work something out here, right? (laughs) Turn right! Turn right! Gather together and build on the foundation that's already been laid and expect the Spirit to show up. Let's pray. Father, fill this country with gatherings of Christians so focused on Jesus that they can't but help expect and anticipate your presence. This country needs this from sea to sea to sea. We need revival. And part of being revived is anticipation and expectation to know that when we gather together, whether it's in these small, our small groups together or whether it's in these large gatherings like we're experiencing this morning, But as we lift Jesus high, the Spirit is here. Spirit, you're here. Bless this country with that kind of revival and renewal. Start with my life and the life of this church. 
We pray this in Jesus' amazing name. Amen.